Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. All right, our scripture from reading this morning comes today from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. And they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have, you, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking and asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, everyone. We are in the fourth week of a sermon series entitled, Is This On? It's the Epiphany Series. And uh, this title we put into the mouth of God who has this giant, has this giant message to proclaim. And sure enough, there are times when it must seem like to God that he's just not being heard. What is the deal? Is this thing on? Can you hear me? By the way, good time for us to say to you that we are this Sunday for the first time using our brand new soundboard. Don't you like it so far? Sounds good, huh? Brand new soundboard. And big thanks to Zach, who is the guy on campus who is, is most equipped to help us wire this thing up. So, and Zach felt bad this week, so thank you, Zach, for putting in the extra time. Appreciate it very much. We are in this season of epiphany that has to do with this giant message of God that is meant to go out all over the place and to everyone. And we are examining during this season of epiphany what those challenges and obstacles are that keep this message from going everywhere to everyone. We're going to start today actually with a a different Uh, passage of scripture than the one that you've heard read today. We're going to start today with the book of Deuteronomy. Fascinating book. Book of Deuteronomy is uh, is a fascinating book, and and not just because of the subject matter. So let me tell you a little bit of the subject matter, and then I'll tell you why it is that it so fascinates me. It sort of retells a lot of the story that you see in the book of Exodus. So after the people are liberated from slavery in Egypt, They gather somewhere near Mount Sinai or in the book of Deuteronomy, Mount Horeb, and they are given the law. And this law from God helps the people of God to be the people of God. It helps to organize them in ways that they can continue to be the people of God and take up God, take God up on this offer of covenant and relationship. You will be my people and you will exhibit me to the world by being people of the law. Now, don't get Don't get disappointed by that. We're not talking about something that at the outset was so legalistic. These laws were a gift. It helped the people of God to know how to be in order to stay in this relationship and to be the covenant partner of God and to be the means whereby God would be magnified and amplified to the world. Well, so they got these laws, and then they wandered and wandered around the wilderness, and then toward the end of the book, what you have are are essentially, okay, Moses is saying, all right, we're about to enter in the promised land, but you'll have a different leader as you go into the promised land, and here are the different things that you have to remember. Here are the different things you need to do, more ways to be organized as you enter into the promised land. So that's, in a nutshell... (laughs) a very oversimplified version of the book of Deuteronomy. But I think what fascinates me most about this book is the date of its compilation. We really believe that the book of Deuteronomy, like so much of the Old Testament actually, is actually written when the people of God are in captivity, in exile. 
So after all of the events depicted in the book of Deuteronomy, after all of that, there would be two very dark chapters in the story of the people of God known as Israel and then the kingdom of Judah, latest. Israel be wiped out by the Assyrians, carried off into exile. We talked a little bit about them last week as we worked with Jonah, the book of Jonah. This week it's the Babylonians who conquer the remaining two tribes, the southern kingdom of Judah. And afterwards, the people of God are left to ask this very important question. What happened? (laughs) How did we get here? So there's a sense in which the book of Deuteronomy is a word spoken from captivity, from this place of isolation. From captivity and from isolation. And again, here's what's being asked in the book of Deuteronomy. What happened? Okay? Because we had this great story going. Liberation, out from bondage in Egypt. God appears to us, hands us this law, organizes us, and things should have gone the right direction, and it didn't. We actually walked away from this relationship. We walked away from the voice of God, and we wandered into oncoming traffic known as the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon. And now we are, for all intents and purposes, completely defeated, wiped out, isolated, and we're asking the questions, not just what happened and how did we get here, but where is God now? Where is God now? So the book of Deuteronomy, in some sense, is trying to answer some of these questions. Okay, here's what happened. Here's what we did do. Here's what we did not do that we should have done. And perhaps it's even an answer to the question, where is God? Now, here is one of the most famous verses, and not just in the book of Deuteronomy, but also in in all of Scripture. It's the Shema. It's very important, but remember the context of the writing and the compiling of the book of Deuteronomy. But here's this verse. Hear, O Israel, listen up, be listening. The Lord our God, the Lord alone. That is a huge, huge statement meant to be a reminder to the people, the original audience of this book of Deuteronomy, meant to be both a reminder and a warning and a promise all at the same time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So in the pages of the book of Deuteronomy, they are reminded how things could have been But they are also reminded what happened to get them into the fix that they now find themselves in as they are in isolation and in captivity, a cage of their own making. We doing okay? So far, so good? So we get to our passage that we could have read today. Deuteronomy 18. All right. The Lord Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. A prophet like me from among your own people, you shall heed such a prophet. Now, you can't see it there, but the same word that's actually used in the Shema, hear or listen, 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 is here. In other words, you've got to make sure you're listening to the right voices because not listening to the right voices and compounded by the fact that we have the tendency to listen to the wrong voices gets us in the wrong places. And the God who seeks connection, the God who seeks covenant, the God who seeks collaboration, you cannot listen to that God and listen to other gods and find yourself isolated and cut off and increasingly, increasingly in captivity, again, in cages that we make for ourselves. So Moses is saying, you must listen to the right voices. (laughs) This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb when you said, if I hear the voice of the Lord my God anymore or ever again see this great fire, I will die. So in other words, here's what the people said. Okay, okay, okay. We will listen for the right voice, but don't give us God's voice. We need a prophet to sort of mediate the voice of God to us because too much God taken straight will just wear us out and scare us to death. (laughs) 
Yeah, because too much God, like just taken straight. Not mediated through some other voice, we still perhaps find that to be problematic. I don't want to get too personal. Kind of do want to get personal. Okay, okay, I do kind of. How many of you let me do your Bible reading for you? Well, John, I like the way you read the Bible. Thank you. Thank you very much. A lot of us like to have our God mediated to us somehow. The ancient people of Israel liked to have their God mediated to them because too much God was really uncomfortable for them. Now, was it because God was so big and being in the presence of a God that big is just scary? Maybe that could have been a part of it. Perhaps it was that God was so good or so pure, or so holy, that being in the presence of that God, well, that was too much like looking in a mirror that I couldn't look at for very long. And so we like to have our God mediated for us, if you don't mind, at least through the mouth of a prophet, maybe through a priest. But we like to have our God mediated So there's at least some distance between us and the powerful world-making words of God, the powerful world-making voice of God. Let me ask you a question, church. Have you protected yourself from the powerful world-making voice of God? Because maybe... You share something with these ancient Israelites. Somewhere in the recesses of your heart, perhaps you're saying, you know, if I really listened, maybe some stuff would need to change about me. I would like to have my God mediated, please. Through the voice of a Sunday school teacher through the voice of a teacher, through the voice of a pastor or a preacher. I would like to have my God's voice mediated so I could keep what I would consider to be a healthy distance (laughs) between me and the potentially dangerous world-making voice of God. Well, God did not disagree. They are right in what they said. Sure enough, they cannot handle me at this point. They cannot handle me at this point. Somehow they need the voice of God mediated because for whatever it is, for whatever reason, they are not the kinds of people who right now can handle God straight. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. That was the plan. That was the hope. It was God's hope that even through the voices of the prophets and the priests, it was God's hope that the people of God would still hear enough of the heart of God that they would not stop listening and then start listening to other voices to their own destruction because this is what we do as human beings. It's not just ancient Israel, is it? We have this strange way of not listening to the right voices. Then we listen to the wrong voices and slowly but surely over a period of time, some of those wrong voices can help us to construct the cages of our captivity. Captivity. Have you ever known an addict? I have known an ad- I have known many addicts. <laughs> Addiction. Uh, I want to call addiction today uh, a a form of captivity. Does that work? A form of captivity. 
a cage in, in some sense. What do we know about addiction and captivity? And what kinds of addictions are you talking about? My answer to that question is yes. All kinds of addictions. Not just substance addictions, but addictions to anything that would steal from your capacity to be all that God wants you to be, to be all that you want to be. (laughs) Because you can be addicted to a lot of things that aren't substances. Is that true? Yeah. So let's talk about addictions, but we're going to start talking about substance addictions. Again, having lived with an addict, here are some of the working assumptions that I made about addictions. My first assumption was there is something in the substance itself that chemically captures the addict such that the addict can't decide for himself or herself anymore. So there is a chemical hook that is responsible for the addiction. So I blamed the drug But then, I don't know if, I think there are stages of grief, yes, for death, but also in learning how to deal with some of these sorts of same kinds of situations like addiction in your own household. So later on, I tried to move beyond that, and what I went to was this. There must be something going on in his head, so he has some sort of a chemical imbalance that predisposes him to this addiction. So again, I try to explain it that way. I was going to show you a, a video, um, and my, actually my, my daughter talked me out of it. It's this awful, awful video that actually is from several years ago. Do you remember the one of, it was the, it was the rat in a small cage, and the rat would always be, uh, would, would be uh, drinking uh, this cocaine-laced water. Do you remember this? Partnership for uh, a drug-free America. I think, I think that's the group that did it. And here was the, the assumption that they made, and this was the result of the findings, that um, if you put a rat in a cage, yeah, stay with me here. It's not just the cold medicine speaking now. I promise you, stay with me here. If you put a rat in a cage, and you only make this particular solution available to the rat, which is this this cocaine-laced water, then eventually the rat will become addicted to this cocaine-laced water and it will kill the rat. Well, yeah, true story. But the assumption was coming out of there that it it was because of whatever it was in the water And it got this little rat hooked on it. And so obviously the problem here is whatever it is in the cocaine-laced water that hooks the rat. So we made all kinds of assumptions about addiction and why people get addicted and then what we should do about people who get addicted. Sometime after this particular study was released, another study was released on this same thing I think trying to defend rats, (laughs) trying to say, wait a minute, this was the only option that this rat had. What if, rather than the solution being the problem, the cage was the problem? All right, now stay with me, stay with me. So what this guy did was he had this same solution on one side of a much larger home, would not have been considered a cage to the rats. But inside this same home for all these rats, you had other options for sustenance, and you had lots of things, I don't know whatever it is, that rats play with, and lots of the rats' friends were around. So you had the possibility of a much better life, and not just this one option, this one cage over here. Turns out none of the rats got addicted to the solution. Zero. Okay, that's rats. What about humans? Okay. Same author, the same article, and the same book that uh, I'm plowing through now said this. In the Vietnam War, the statement was made, heroin, heroin is as popular as chewing gum amongst those who fight in the Vietnam War. 
Yeah, it was, it was rampaging. But was their addiction the result of the drug itself or the awful cage they were in that was the warfare? 95% of those addicted to drugs in Vietnam, in Vietnam came home, and when they weren't subjected to that cage of warfare, they weren't addicted to the drugs. that's significant. Turns out, the cage has a lot to do with it. This article that I'm reading right now in the Huffington Post makes this incredible statement about addiction. It's not you, it's your cage. It's not you, it's your cage that causes you to do these certain things, that causes the addictions. It's not the chemical inside of this thing. It's the cage. It's the awful life that you are in. He makes another point. Listen, when someone breaks a hip, the drug that is given to that person would have tremendous street value because it's really an effective painkiller. But those people, once they're off of that drug and they're home, they typically aren't addicted to that drug. It's not you, it's the cage. You see, when your circumstances are better, when there is connection, when there is not isolation, when there is connection, when there's the possibility for a better life, we are not as susceptible to those self-destructive behaviors that I'm calling now addictions of all kinds, gambling, pornography. The people of God people of God, in the book of Deuteronomy, made a point of separating themselves from the source of love and connection. They wanted their God mediated to them. They made it a point to put at least some kind of what they considered to be healthy distance between themselves and God. And sure enough, it started them on the track until finally they started listening to everyone else and not God. And they found themselves in isolation in a cage of their own making in exile asking the question, what happened? Well, here's what happened. They walked away from God and built their own cages. So in some sense, the book of Deuteronomy is a word spoken from isolation and exile. But the book of Mark is a word spoken to those in captivity and isolation. All right, so now what will happen? How will the people of God get back to God? How will the people of God ever uh, be released from those cages? How will the people of God break out of those cages and get all the way back to God? And the book of Mark seems to say, here's how it will happen God's going to go to them. Keys in hand. So they are astounded. I always feel bad for the scribes. You've already heard this passage read, and I always feel bad for the scribes. So Jesus goes to teach on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not like their regular teachers. But what was it about this sense of authority that Jesus brought? Well, let's talk a little bit about the backdrop, maybe the historical backdrop that Jesus is dealing with now. Are the people in exile? Well, sort of, kind of. I mean, they're at home-ish, and yet they're in a land that is completely and thoroughly dominated and occupied by the Roman power. They may be home, but they are not free. Make some sense? They are at home, but they are not free. And it really still kind of feels like that the faith had been adjusted by, the expectations of faith had been adjusted by the political and the historical goings-on around all the people of God In some sense, it feels like that everything had been sort of dumbed down. And maybe that's why no one felt like the scribes taught with any sort of authority. Because there was so much go along and get along and all of this. It wasn't world making. It wasn't world shaping. It was just coping. Just coping skills. And then along comes this Jesus. Who taught with great 
authority. Along comes this Jesus who says really big things about a God who speaks in world-making sorts of ways and challenges their senses of normal captivity. It's fascinating to me what happens here. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, the language there is such that it could have been translated like this. Just then there was a man in the synagogue, a man in an unclean spirit. In other words, a man in a cage. A man in a cage. Perhaps a cage of his own making. Perhaps he had, this man, had for so long wanted there to be some sort of healthy distance between him and God. Perhaps this person had wanted the voice of God mediated through a rabbi or through a priest or something like, priest or something like that. Perhaps what had happened is over a period of time, this person had strayed so far from the source of life and hope and truth, he'd listened to the wrong voices and had over a period of time constructed a cage within which he now lived his life. We have talked for a long time about the different isms around here. This gives me another opportunity to say to you that you can attend church every week, multiple times a week, and still be held hostage by another faith system. You, can, you know this, right? You can come to church and be addicted to something, right? It's possible that there are people in the room that are addicted to something, perhaps a substance, perhaps a habit, But beyond that, it's possible that there are people in the room who are in some sense addicted to or held hostage by a different faith system that always mediates the words of the gospel. In other words, though you have heard it said up here all the time, all the time, you must first and foremost be a Christian and then involved in business or law or medicine or whatever it is. Some people still come every week, though they've heard it maybe a dozen times, you still force fit the gospel through the business filter, through the education filter, through the legal filter, whatever it is that you do for a living, or how it is that you understand yourself because you understand yourself as something before you are a Christian. So I can get up here and I can say it every week, every week every month and every year. But if you are so held hostage by your vocation or by whatever self-understanding captures you first, then you are still, still forcing the gospel through somebody else's filter because you just can't take your Jesus straight. For fear that this Jesus might change everything. And listen, it's not just in the Old Testament that people say, hey, God, and now in the New Testament, Jesus, why don't you kind of keep a little distance here because you are messing things up. It's later on in the same book. (laughs) Jesus will deliver a man from another unclean spirit or lots of unclean spirits, and it so messes up this town that the town says, you got to get out of here because you're really hurting our pig business. You're messing with our city's economy. You're really messing everything up. We like to have our God mediated, thank you very much. This is like too close for comfort because now you're changing the way we live. Because those people lived in cages of their own making. Let's pound on them for a second. Those people that tossed Jesus out of their city. This would happen three chapters later, four chapters later. Those people that would toss Jesus out of their city because he was too much of an upset to their business lives, too much of an upset to their their society. Those people lived in a particular kind of captivity. Understand that, right? And because of this captivity, they could not handle the unadulterated Word of Christ. I had someone say it to me not too long ago over a cup of coffee. I was so proud of this young man who was in sales. And this young man looked across the table and said to me, 
I hear you. I, I hear you. I hear you. But if I do business like that, I need to find a different job. At least that young man is aware that he is in a cage of his own making. And he's seeking to find something else to do or to do what he's doing differently so that he can, with clear conscience, be a Christian who happens to be a salesperson. With all the different ways that a Christian would define success (laughs) and failure, by the way. And then enter into the business world as opposed to being the person who as a life posture, lets business define success and failure and then wanders into church. Because I don't think it's all that unusual that people wander into church in cages of their own making. Now, some of us want to make a cartoon out of this particular story so that we can be separated from it. Well, here's a couple of problems. There was a man with an unclean spirit. And so what we want to do now is we want to make this into one of those really dramatic eyes bulging out of his head, crazy kind of voice, special effects, and all that kind of stuff. But it could have just been something like this. It could have been translated like this. Then there came a man who was not completely sacred. Not quite as dramatic and sci-fi, is it? But into the synagogue, meant to be sacred space, came this person carrying something that was not sacred. Well, now that's not unusual. So let's say it like this. So into the sanctuary came people in cages, built by their own hands and decisions. And those cages are not the cages built by God. I just don't think that's new. I don't think it was new for this time period that Jesus was in. But what's different here in the book of Mark is that Jesus has something to say. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, man, so much noise. Just be quiet. And come out of him, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud, loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. What if I were to convince you today But there is no captivity strong enough to hold you if Jesus and you conspire for your release. There is no captivity stronger than the power of God to overcome that captivity. Now, hopefully you know me by now. I am a person who believes in providential means and agencies. In other words, if you break your leg, you should go to the doctor and not just pray about it. Okay? So where there are addictions, where there are cages... I do deeply believe that the power of God is sufficient to overcome those captivities and those cages and those addictions, and perhaps it will be through providential means and agencies and counselors and perhaps even medications that can help you get back to the place that God wants you to be. But I do believe, I do believe that Jesus is just strong enough to overcome each and every kind of addiction. Even if you have two of them. (laughs) 
Now, to get from here to there, I think you and I probably need to get more comfortable with the possibility of having our God unmediated. Like, you probably need to have more doses of your Jesus straight. And I'm glad you come to church. I really am. I, I want you to be here every Sunday. I, I think there's something that happens as you stack Sunday after stun, Sunday after Sunday. I think there's something that happens that is, in fact, habit-forming. I'm so grateful when you're here. But your being here is just part of it. You're not letting me read your scripture for you, right? I mean, as you drive home, if you say to someone, if you post, if you whatever, if you, if you say, really enjoyed the sermon, I'm glad John reads scripture for me once a week. Really enjoyed worship today. Uh, we prayed, and I got my prayer in for the week today. Really gave my all in worship today for like 11 minutes of my week. Got it. All that's really happening in that moment is you, you just still, like the ancient people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, you still are trying to have your God mediated to you somehow in consumable bite sizes And without your knowing it someday, you're going to look up like the people of of ancient Israel and you're going to say, what happened? How did I get here from there when all of that was available to me? Well, hear me, hear me. You're praying, you're reading, you're worshiping, you're serving. Again, none of that is done to change God's mind and heart about you. It is to change your mind and heart about God and to open you up to the possibility of connection with God. Turns out connection with God and others, turns out connection is the way to overcome addiction. Fascinating line in this article as we move toward a close. Fascinating line in this article was this. The opposite of addiction according to this study, is not sobriety, it's connection. Wow, what if? What if the answer to your addictions, what if the answer to your captivities, well, it's not gonna be legalism, No one can beat you long enough with the law to finally get you straightened out, promise. Not for any length of time. But what if the opposite of addiction and captivity, what if it's really not sobriety? What if it's connection? Well, that makes communion make more sense, doesn't it? In a lot of ways, the Old Testament is the retelling of the story of how it was that ancient Israel got lost. And yes, the prophets, had they been listened to, the right ones, by the way, because they were wrong ones and they were bad, but the right ones, had they been listened to, could have helped along the way. The right kinds of prophets correctly diagnosed along the way I'm thinking about the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaking for God, and God is lamenting that he's lost this connection with Israel like a young couple has on their honeymoon. God speaking, you used to rely on me for food and for water, and then you got all grown up one day and you dug your own cisterns, only to find out that they don't hold water.
Slowly but surely, you chose the separation, Jeremiah seems to be saying. Slowly but surely, the people chose the separation and moved systematically away from God, away from connection, away from the source of life, only to find that as they wandered away from God, they wandered into captivity. They wandered into cages of their own making. Those cages still exist by the time we get to the book of Mark. Only here's what happens in the book of Mark. (laughs) God in Christ tracks us down holding all of the keys and offers us again the same kind of closeness and connection and communion that allows for a life of real and sometimes frightening liberty and freedom. The capacity, the real chance to be Christian before we are anything else, even before we are good at business. Yep, it's that kind of world-shaping, perhaps horrifying liberty that the God of the universe, the God we see reflected most clearly in the face of Christ, it's that kind of liberty that is offered to us Every time we take this ritual to heart, the Lord's Supper, communion. I hope today as you receive these elements, broken body and shed blood, I hope you receive them today as moves against isolation and captivity as moves against the cages that we have the tendency to make when we want some distance between us and God. I hope that you will take these elements today and I hope that you are nourished by them enough to consider, to consider the possibility of this freedom that might, where you're sitting today, feel like a horrifying possibility. Really, everything could change according to the heart of God. Everything, everything. May you be nourished by the body and blood of Christ today to at least consider the possibilities of total and complete freedom. If you're helping us today, would you go ahead and come on up and help us to prepare the elements and prepare the table? Heavenly Father, bless these elements and use them, God, to strengthen us to consider all of the possibilities Bless the bread, bless the cup. May we recognize in these elements the move of God toward us, toward us in ways that allow us to think beyond our cages that we brought with us today. As per usual, if you are receiving communion today, if you will come with your hands cupped, I'll ask you to stand up and you'll exit your pew to the left and you'll come forward. Come with your hands cupped and ready to receive that which you cannot pay for, the body and the blood of Christ. When you receive this piece of bread, the person handing it to you will say, the body of Christ broken for you. Immediately take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup held by the person right next. That person will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then go ahead and just eat right then and there. After that, you have a quick decision to make. You can go back to your pews or you can find a place to pray. If you came to church today, a prisoner in the cage of your own making, I hope you'll find a place to pray at one of these side altars. Very powerful prayers for healing. I've already blessed you. You can go ahead. Yeah. Very powerful prayers for healing will be prayed by somebody at these side padded altars. Or if you'd like to find a place to pray here along the front, you'll find that somebody at some point will pray right along with you. on the night that is betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, 
broke it. Gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Remember the posture of God that you see in me. After dinner, he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Every time you drink of this cup, remember me. Remember me. Who can take communion here at OKC first? Well, we celebrate an open table here, and what that means is this. Any of us in this room who understand our need are welcome. You do not have to have achieved any particular place in the journey. If you recognize your need, we believe there is something in this very remembrance that will move you closer to where God wants you to be. So all are welcome at this table. If you can't come to us, make sure that Jason sees you. He will come to you. And now all across the sanctuary, all those who are willing to receive the bread and the cup today, would you stand up, exit your pew to the left, and come forward to receive. Heavenly Father, draw our minds and our attention now anything that threatens to hold us hostage. God, give us just enough courage to listen as you direct our thinking to those areas of life that can and perhaps already have become the means of our captivity, the filters through which we filter messages we hear from you. somehow grow within us an appetite for a more direct connection with you, a faith in which we participate more fully, more completely. Father, for those perhaps who do not have that appetite, would you place even within them this very simple prayer that they would actually pray to have that appetite. Pray that they would desire to have that appetite. I again want to get out of the way so that you can pray one of a couple different prayers. Yes, God, more of you and sooner rather than later. But if you can't pray that prayer with deep conviction, perhaps you can at least pray, God, I wish I did want more. for a few people who need specific healing touches from the Lord. We want to, together as a church family, lift up Brian Kane as he recovers from a severe motorcycle accident. Oh, you right now is up and awake. We ask God for a healing touch from Brian and his life and his family. 
Every week, Linda always prays and anoints people with oil for healing. We want to look and pray for your mom. Pray for Iris. She's in a hospital room now, recovering from pneumonia. And just together, we lean on her. Let's pray together as a body of Christ the Lord to heal Iris, bring her peace and joy and the warmth embrace of God's presence. You know someone in your life who is sick. A lot of from our staff has been sick recently. You have someone in your home and work. You have someone who just has had a cold, the flu, but you also know someone who has cancer or something that they just can't recover from on their own. So as you think of that person in your life, and it may be yourself, pray for physical healing. pray for the lonely. Pastor John has preached us towards connection. If you are lonely, ask God to come in these moments and bring connection. Pray for the lonely. And as you pray for the lonely, let's remember the incarcerated and our homebound friends. especially pray for those who are even in the building now who even though they're in a large crowd they are alone and Lord we ask that you would bring presence connection in these moments in the days to come Lord we pray for our neighborhood pray for our kids club after school program we pray for your work in our world including places like Zambia Lord, we are grateful for the way you are at work in our world and that you've asked us to join along with you. May we be your people reflecting your image in some ways by believing and living into this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. Let's pray this morning using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen thanks for listening to this podcast for more information about okc first please visit okcfirst.com like us on facebook at oklahoma city first church of the nazarene or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.